Well, hello and welcome to episode number 332 of the Player in Talking UK podcast. I'm Carlos and in this week's show we discover there's talk of Qantas international services being grounded until July 2021. Wizz Air decides to take on EasyJet at Gatwick Airport and a man is arrested after driving under a taxiing aircraft. In the military this week, the Royal Air Force receives a high-end motion full motion simulator for its P-8 Poseidon, and uh, which is built in the US and transported to the UK by a Russian-made aeroplane. And we see even more flights of the legendary and not-so-retired F-117 Nighthawk in support of an exercise in Nevada. The Microsoft Flight Sim is finally released, and producer John has been having a damn good go on that game this week. And Matt talks to Captain Al and Dan Holly about turbulence in this week's Plain Truth. So joining me over in the PTUK main master, big establishment studio, is of course Matt Smith. Uh, well hello everyone, I, I, I'm, I'm in trouble already, I see HR have been in touch, we've started 90 seconds late and he's furious. <laughs> oh boy. I know, absolutely, it really won't do. Anyway, yes I'm very well thank you mate, how are you? Yeah, good. Yeah, it's been, it's been a really, really busy week this week. I think re- things are really starting to pick up incredibly within our business that um, that we have. So uh, it's all good. It's all good. Plenty of stuff happening on the roads, which is good. Just a quick note as well. Big happy birthday to a very good friend of mine, Mark, who's uh, celebrating his uh, birthday today. So uh, happy birthday to you, Mark. Hope you're having a 21 great plus day. BAT, right? Yeah. He's the, he's the same age as me. Anyway, oh, moving swiftly on. Oh, um, <laughs> <laughs> and as you could probably guess that uh, Nev, unfortunately, can't be with us this week. Unfortunately, Nev is uh, doing another round trip of Europe, tasting all the finest wines. Oh. But uh, <laughs> And also, Armando can't join us this week as well, because Armando mm. is uh, apparently flying members of, uh, members of heads of state around oh. in his private jet. So, uh, yeah, Armando can't join us either tonight. But we do have probably the, the greatest sub uh, come joining us, uh, who's taking over from uh, the two hosts that we're missing this week. And he makes up for two hosts, let's be honest, because oh. he is the man, the legend, the one we all love. It is Captain Jeff. Hello. Wait, I don't, I don't hear uh, the sound effect. Here, let me go ahead and play it for you then. Ah! <laughs> all right. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you for inviting me to be on the show. <laughs> hey, Jeff. How's things with you, Jeff? Have you started that all-important uh, 717 training yet? Nope. No. Um, still waiting to hear official word and when I'm going to start training. Uh, as far as I know, it's going to be in October. And I did notice in my electronic flight bag, the um, manual section automatically started getting um, filled up with the 717 manuals. So Ooh. maybe it's time for me to start looking at those and start some studying. <laughs> All right. I, I think, I think Jeff, perhaps you need to get in contact with, uh, with our producer, John, in regards to Microsoft flight sim. Perhaps you could, um, Oh yeah. You might yeah. be able to tell me a thing or two. About <laughs> right. <that 717>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, sh- I'm quite sure not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's been a busy week with, uh, aviation, uh, this week, I think, isn't it, Matt? It's been uh, quite a few, 
things going on within the uh, industry. Really? Oh, you had a different week to me then. <laughs> we, we were scrubbing around for stories late last night, so I don't know what you're on. <laughs> Actually, this, this, week in the, this week in the UK, we've had a certain series appearing on uh, ITV, which is one of our uh, Oh, news I see. Or Sorry, TV it was a segue into that. I do apologise. UK. Sorry. <laughs> And uh, this week we've uh, had, uh, it's the first actually we had, didn't we, Matt, of a 12-part of series uh, on Heathrow, which yeah, is the busiest airport, Britain's busiest airport. I know Nev has actually seen it, unfortunately, because um, he was going to give us a re- review of it this evening. But uh, have you, I know you've got it in your planner. Have you had a chance to give it a watch yet? Do you know, I haven't had a chance to see it, but I did um, read a few reviews they on weren't, they um, weren't an glowing, aviation were they? forum that I'm, I'm in. <laughs> and they, they weren't, how do I put this? Uh, the the visuals were lovely. It was filmed in HD. Um, right. Okay. That's a that's a good thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, uh, <laughs> if anybody in the chat room has actually watched the series, so I think it was on it was on ITV, wasn't it? ITV. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, eight, yeah th- Thursday. On uh, Thursday. ITV, uh, called Britain's busiest airport. Uh, if anybody has seen it in the chat room, uh, we'd be grateful for what you thought of it. As I say, because uh, unfortunately mm. Nev's not able to join us tonight. But uh, this one of the things that is so frustrating about this, and I don't know whether you have a uh, similar problem in the states, Jeff, but Whenever they sort of try and depict airports, and, and especially when it comes to like documentaries and stuff, somehow they just never seem to. You know, it seems to be sort of filmed by people who don't understand it. Do you know what I mean? They're always very accurate, in my opinion. Right. That's exactly the way everything happens, <laughs> for sure. Right. Okay. No. Mm. Sorry, yes. <laughs> mm. Yes. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll clearly gloss over that. And, Oh, hello. Somebody oh, hello. received Someone's a very loud email. Somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that wasn't uh, me. I don't know what that sound is. Not me. That appears not, not to guilty. come from here. Not I don't guilty. know where that came from. What so, happened uh, there? Never heard that sound before. <laughs> no. <laughs> I know you guys think it's me with my soundboard, but I have no. not touched a thing. <laughs> okay. Somebody received an email. That's what she said. Right. Yes. Oh, I don't know why um, I'm there. Yeah. Anyway, anyway, thank um, you, Simon Hawks, for your email. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, now we know. <laughs> right. Anyway, okay. I don't, anyway, even know, I, don't, I don't even know how that happened. Sorry, <laughs> nothing's plugged so, in. Uh, <laughs> well, it's like uh, it's this protocol that people send um, mail electronically. Right. Okay. And... What, it was what? So they write it with a pen, and then what? No, sort no. of. Um, with a keyboard, and then they keyboard, you say. send. Yeah. Send? Somebody. No. No, John, would you please explain to Matt how that whole thing works? Well, while we're moving on to the... John says it's far too complicated for him. Uh, while we're uh, moving on from the, the Carlos, we be, you better dig us out of this hole. <laughs> yes, thanks to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room this evening. All the usual family members in there tonight liz piper hello to auntie liz uh, lane street richard adams we've got masha in there uh, we've also got uh, neville bounds in there he's keeping an eye on things uh, tanya w uh, we've got in there graham haley hello to you graham hope everything is well with you stephen howland hello to you jonathan warner he must be taking a night off or either actually starting a late shift uh, we've got John Jester. Hello to you, John. And uh, scrolling down, Paul Tricker. Hello to you, Paul. One of our local listeners, not too far from me and Matt. Stephen Ivy is also in the uh, chat room as well. So hello to you, Stephen. And to anyone 
who uh, is maybe listening to the show as an audio podcast, remember to take yourselves over to YouTube, search for Plain Talking UK. And if you do find us on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and also the bell icon, which is right next to it, to be notified when we go live, when Matt presses that all-important uh, button <laughs> on the touchscreen. And then the you power. can join us in the chat room like we've got so many in there tonight joining us in the chat room so you can join us in there and uh, well talk aviation absolutely it's uh, it's it's all well uh, you'll be delighted to know i found where that noise came from it came back from the talkback system so it was only us that heard it ironically there we are <laughs> never mind <laughs> the, nobody cares why am i even going on about it uh right okay now I, I we're hoping that somebody was is going to drop in so apologies if the commercial news uh gets uh interrupted but we're hoping that uh, we've got a uh a little bit of a, a live video feed coming in very soon but uh, yeah hopefully think- we've um i've just i've just had a had a message quick message from uh from uh, our main man, Micah, who's hoping to dial in. He's going he's gonna to try and attempt to dial in at some point very soon, okay. I think, via Zoom. Think. Right. Well, shall, shall we, shall, I'll tell you what we'll do. Shall we uh, bash on with the commercial news for now, and then um, we'll, we'll interrupt the commercial news for some live breaking news, shall we, from, <laughs> from the field, as it were. So we are going to start the show, then, as we do each week, with our rundown of the weekly news from around the world and the UK. So if everyone's ready. Oh, yeah. Let's go. So kicking off this week's first news story, this is on the AINonline.com website, and this is uh, especially for Steve and Grant over in uh, (laughs) Australia. So Qantas sees international service grounded until July 2021. Qantas expects the majority of its international capacity to remain grounded until the middle of next year, as the airline grapples with the persisting border restrictions and quarantine requirements due to COVID-19. We'll take a drink. No. Qantas Group CEO <laughs> Alan Joyce said during the company's year-end earnings webcast for fiscal year 2020, and the projection came as the company reported a four billion Australian dollar or 2.9 billion dollar drop in revenue during the second half of its fiscal year, ending on the 30th of June, and a 2.7 Australian dollar, billion dollar loss before tax for the entire year, due mostly to a. 1.4 billion non-cash write-off asset, including the A380 fleet and the uh, four, or 642 million Australian dollars in a one-off redundancy costs as part of restructuring the business for recovery. Still, the company managed to register an underlying profit for the fiscal year of 124 million Australian dollars, amounting to a 91% decline from the previous year. International destinations are still unlikely to open until July 2021, with the possibility of an earlier restart for the Trans-Tasman route, said Joyce who called the conditions in the second half of fiscal year 20 the toughest the carrier has faced in its 100-year history. Recovery will take time and it will be choppy, he added, and we've always had setbacks with borders opening and then closing again, but we know that travel is at the top of people's wish lists and that demand will return as soon as restrictions lift. That means we can get more of our people back to work, he said. 
Qantas has cut 6,000 employees or around 20% of their workforce since the onset of COVID-19 crisis and expects to stand down 20,000 more until work returns. Ow, that's not nice. Joyce said the uh, fiscal year 20 results showed how the COVID-19 crisis had take a drink again, derailed what would have been a strong financial performance. He said that we were on track, we were on track for another profit above $1 billion when the crisis struck, he explained. The fact that we still delivered a full year underlying profit shows how quickly we adjusted when the revenue collapsed. Ooh, yeah, I remember speaking to uh, Grant. I know you spoke to Stephen Grant not so long mm, back, and I remember yeah. um, Grant, Grant saying how incredibly... Um, stringent the restrictions are on on those guys over in Australia. But but then I think a lot of it also is the fact that, I mean, I genuinely, until I spoke to to Stephen Grant, because for some reason we aren't sort of hearing much about the actual, what I call like the count, um, for want of a better word, and certainly where where those guys uh, are, they were saying that, you know, actually the the case numbers are climbing rapidly. It's, Mm. I mean, it's, it's it's not a happy situation really there. But I mean, Presumably, I mean, obviously, this is not great news. They've they've made a decision, if you like, to sort of postpone until flying again next year. I mean, Jeff, I mean, in in the states, is is sort of uh, international flying still happening, or or do you think uh, a lot of airlines will be doing something similar? Sure, why wouldn't it be? Is there something going on? <laughs> Over nineteen. Say, say what is it? COVID nineteen apparently. Thank so, you. Yeah, <laughs> that that word. I don't know. It's 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 a funny one, isn't it? I, I just. I mean, I understand why they've done it. They've 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 made the decision that that's, you know, what they what they or they're talking about making that as the decision that what they want to do. But I don't know. I, I, it sort of makes me feel quite sad, to be honest. Yeah, it's going to take a while for all of that to recover, and it, uh, sadly, international travel is going to be uh, one of the last things that really gets back to the way it was uh, mm-hmm. pre pandemic shame Shame. Mm. i'll be glad when things get back to some sort of relative normality well of course obviously what with malta and things obviously because you were were supposed to be going out to to malta sort of in a few and the u.s weren't you and the u.s obviously that's all been uh, been pulled as a result of that but um have you had your money back by the way yet from uh... uh well update on actually um even though we already knew months ago that they were going to um, easy, we're going to cancel our flight because it was obvious. Right. Uh, we, we did actually finally get an email, and uh, which was the refund process email. Click on the bot, uh, comment our tab, fill in your name, fill in the book and number, blah blah blah, and they are going to take a minimum of twenty-eight days to pay the money back well, into okay. my bank. Uh, I, I, it could be a lot worse, though. To be fair, I mean, you know, a lot of airlines are, are trying to sort of. Because uh, I suppose this is the problem, is, and I know we've covered this before as as well. But it's like, I, I don't know. My gut reaction, if I was able to afford it, would be to sort of actually just leave it in the in, in the uh, in the airline. Because I don't know if this is helping everyone. You know, everybody's withdrawing yeah, all of their money. That is um, that is one of the things that we we looked at. You know, they offered us a voucher. They offered us um, a lot of extras. Um, little sort of taster sort of extras and stuff if we carried on with it. But the trouble is, Matt, is that for, for well, I think for most people, is the uncertainty to when things will get back to normal. Yeah. So you could be sitting on this voucher for the next 12 months, yeah. 8 months, 9 months, 10 months, so. 12 months. I don't yeah. know. I know there's no easy answer to it, is it really? Mm. But, uh, yeah. 
it's uh, uh, also it's probably just worth mentioning uh, as well that uh, um, that is uh, uh, interesting that uh, the Dubai state carrier Emirates Airline has said it will serve 100% of its 143 destinations by the summer of 2021 with the frequency of flights depending on demand, according to Chief Operating Officer Adele Al-Reka. I mean, it, it, interesting that um, that they're sort of taking another look at it, taking a different viewpoint, if you like, where they're planning to operate 100% of their schedule, um, perhaps not the frequency mm. uh, that they do now. But uh, I don't know, are they, are they being overly cautious, Qantas, perhaps? Yeah, I think with that, with the loss and stuff, I think most airlines are trying to be cautious, especially when mm. it comes to... Um, to, to money, to be fair, to, to give it to a lot of the airlines, you know, quite a few of the airlines that I've read about online are trying their best mm. to keep staff um, yeah. on board. Yeah, I mean, presumably but, it'll go back to normal at some point, one would hope. But, I very much hope so. Yeah, absolutely. But moving on to the next story, Matt, and um, Ryanair are... Um, uh, um, cutting as well. Yeah, well, I, I suppose this is the thing, isn't it? We've, we've certainly here. If you you're living in the UK, there's been lots of stories about uh, people who or air, country, sorry, that have been added to the ban list, if you like, where you have to uh, uh, quarantine when you come home, obviously, and that Malta will being one of them. But well, yes, indeed, uh, <laughs> that will obviously have an impact on. Um, on uh, the the airlines, and so this is uh, Ryan. This is FlightGlobal.com, and the uh, headline is Ryanair cuts 20% of September and October capacity as restrictions hit demand. Low cost carrier Ryanair has reduced its planned capacity for September and October by 20% as demand for intra-European travel weakens amid government-imposed restrictions. Citing the impact of continuing uncertainty over recent COVID case rises in some EU countries, uh, the uh, pan-European airline says that the cuts will be achieved through frequency reductions rather than route closures. Uh, These capacity cuts and frequency reductions for the months of September and October are necessary given the recent weakness in forward bookings due to the COVID restrictions in a number of EU countries, Ryanair states. It highlights restrictions imposed by a number of European countries in the past two weeks, which mean bookings, especially for business travel in September and October, have been negatively affected. Uh, Ryanair would therefore reduce um, frequencies so that we can tailor our capacity to demand over the next two months. The restrictions will be heavily focused on countries such as Spain, France and Sweden where coronavirus case rates have led to increased travel restrictions, it states. Uh, The carrier laments a uniquely restrictive green list of destinations in its Irish home market where capacity cuts will also be made. Ryanair believes that proper testing at airports and effective tracing is the only realistic and proportionate uh, method of supervising uh, safe intra-EU air travel while effectively limiting the spread of the COVID-19 virus. Uh, The island-based carrier said in early August that it had carried 4.4 million passengers in July as it uh, partially restored its network. That figure was 70% down on the same figure of 2019 and was achieved with capacity at around 40% of the 2019 level. It projected that its August capacity would be around 60 of the 2019 level. Ryanair's move to cut capacity chimes with IATA's decision to revise downwards its projection for uh, 
uh, European travel, travel passenger numbers this year. The Airline Industry Association said on the 13th of August that it now expects passenger numbers to decline by around 60% in 2020. I mean, I can't say I'm surprised, obviously, because it's been sort of a funny couple of weeks, isn't it? I think Croatia, for example, is now being added to the ban yeah. list as of 4 a.m. tomorrow morning, I think, yeah. certainly for here in the UK. So... Yeah, it's just, I don't know. I, 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 do you know what? I'm getting really bored. I, I want 2020 to just go away now. I'm I'll tell you what, Matt. That, start that, again. Um, Somebody that, press the reset button. That's that what happens with the computer, said, isn't it? We, you know, you need to power down, reset, and try again. <laughs> that figure of 4.4 million passengers in July, I was quite shocked with that, actually. Mm. I didn't realise yes, that. You um, how, yeah, but that you could, I know it's a lot less than it would, normally would be. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But still, 4.4 million, it's not a... Small amount of passengers, but um, I mean, what a what a load uh, factors like in the the states, Jeff, at the moment. I mean, I, I presume obviously that are we talking sort of similar reductions of fifty and sixty percent? Yeah, um, very large uh, reductions. Although to be honest, uh, since May twenty seventh, I haven't been to an airport, so I don't know what it's like. <laughs> <laughs> I've been I've been home all this time, right. so I haven't really been able to tell you know what the what the loads are but i think they're picking up but they're nowhere near the same levels that they were this time last year so um i believe that acme is um you know probably a, i don't know i'm just throwing a number out there but uh under under 30 percent of what we were doing um the previous year probably much less than that because i mean obviously in the, the states in comparison so much here because obviously most of the stuff here is is leaving the uk but obviously in in the states there's mm-hmm. a lot of what i call sort of interstate tra- transport isn't there and I, mm-hmm. I guess that's potentially impacted less maybe than than international routes yes the uh, domestic travel has been impacted less but it's still been pretty dramatically uh, impacted mm. i'm guessing though jeff with uh, with you know you're not you're not flying since may i'm guessing that you have an incredibly clean car and a finely <laughs> manicured garden <laughs> Yeah, I have people that do all that for me, and they're doing a bang-up job. <laughs> Absolutely, you're watching it from the, watching, watching, watching them work from the hammock. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Actually, I had to mow my lawn for a couple of weeks because my I know the horror. <laughs> reek, reek. Um, the uh, the lawn the guy that runs the lawn service uh, uh, had COVID. Uh, oh, so, no. oh wait, blimey! Drink. Right. Drink. Sorry. Yes. Mm, all right. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I uh, I did uh, have to go out there and fire up the lawnmower that I hadn't used since 2016. My goodness! And uh, <laughs> actually do the do the job myself, which I had for many 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 years of my life. And uh, but it was just a couple of we- couple of weeks, and then he was back at it again. So Phew, thank, thank goodness, goodness for that. A speedy recovery, yeah. at least. Actually, Stephen Ivey's just saying in the chat room there that Acme Junior is doing 50 percent of our schedule from last. Oh, no, that's pretty so. good. Yeah, that's 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 quite a that, that is that is still quite a drop though, isn't it? Yeah, but uh, I guess it can't be. But you know, fifty percent—that's what we always shoot for well, on the APG. Yeah, <laughs> that's so. Uh, that's a score there, Stephen. Well, quite absolutely. Uh, so, so st- Jeff, <laughs> I say, Jeff, the next story for you, Jeff. I think that whoever this guy was must have um, uh, had a very poorly designed Tom uh, Tom sat nav or a Garmin sat nav. Obviously, it wasn't his fault. <laughs> mm. um, so you're referring to this article from, let's see, what is a Simple Flying, which is the way I like it, because the <laughs> simpler, the better for me. 
Um, man arrested in Portland after driving under a taxiing aircraft. A man has been arrested again in Portland, Oregon, after he drove his family onto an active taxiway. <laughs> he wanted everybody in the family to experience this <laughs> under a moving aircraft. Did they the all get arrested? Which occurred, That's the question. <laughs> I don't know. Well, let's read the article and find out. Okay, shut up. Sorry. Um, sorry. <laughs> the, the incident which occurred on Sunday was sw swiftly resolved by county police with the perpetrator incurring criminal charges. Here's what happened. And now to you at Portland Airport International. Oh. <laughs> oh, thanks, Jeff. Um, first of all, I'll tell you the Portland International Airport is the largest airport in the state of Oregon, the United States, presents the perfect opportunity for a getaway. I think that must be an ad. Let's continue. The incident <laughs> happened on Sunday, 16 August, just after 1937 local time. That's 7.37 p.m. for normal people. Uh, let's see, and involved a family of four in their sedan. According to reports, a vehicle crashed through gates at the north side of Portland Airport after coming off a nearby road. I think it was one of those big giant station wagons, like, um, what was it, the uh, National Lampoon's? Oh, um, Chevy Chase, yeah. Yeah, Chevy Chase, I think. Um, that's what I'm picturing in my mind. Yeah, we'll uh, let's that. see. What's <laughs> this sedan, me. though? Yeah. Uh, an employee from the airport promptly drew attention to the car and asked it to stop. The driver, a father with his wife and two young children, obliged. The airport called police to the scene, and the culprit initially cooperated with their inquiry. It's unclear. Uh, let's see. The driver of the vehicle told police that he had been left without options after being chased by several trucks on the highway. Okay. <laughs> uh, Portland Airport was his only opportunity to escape. Wow. Um, however, after speaking with police officers, the 24-year-old, who was named as... Ulysses Tayada Ayala, thank you very much for that, returned to his vehicle and drove off with one of his children. On his escape, he headed straight underneath a moving aircraft that was taxiing to the runway. So apparently he took off with one of his children, obviously his favorite. Um, thankfully, the sharp wit of the pilot meant that no one was harmed. Oh, this is the first I hear about a pilot anywhere. Did I miss something? <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Uh, I guess the aircraft stopped while uh, the sedan carried on, coming to a rest at Portland Airport's E gates, according to a report shared with Simple Flying. A police said, a police statement said, near the area of gate E eight, the vehicle once again stopped on the ramp, and the driver hung his body and hands outside of the window. The occupants of the vehicle were detained, and the vehicle was secured and later removed from the airfield. Police arrested the driver. Nothing said about his family, so they must have just been along for the ride. Uh, placed him in Mult um, Multnomah County Jail. I'm not sure if that's pronounced correctly or not, but uh, I give it my best shot. Uh, he was charged with three felonies, criminal mischief, attempt to elude, and assaulting a police officer. I mean, th th mm. there's a lot of questions here. It's like, how on earth do you get, how, how on earth did he end up on, like, you know, airside in the first place that's the 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 that's alarm the bells that are ringing in question. my head yeah absolutely so many questions there i'm, I'm just watching the uh, i'm just watching the video that someone posted on um on twitter of this guy being arrested on the on the well on the apron if you want to call it um and the, the police were definitely really interested in getting this guy Efficient. Should we go with efficient? Yes. Did, did he fall down? <laughs> he, did, he did. He took a little tumble. I think. Oh, did he? Yes. That's oh, a shame. Good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's, it's 
is an outrageous statement by me. Oh dear, never mind. It's uh, yes, it's not not a lot of aviation aviation in there. But as I say, there's lots of alarm bells ringing there. Is like how on earth did they get there in the first place? Um, uh, yes. So Richard Adam is, Adams is saying that uh, uh, best bet the parking fee was extremely painful, um, oh. and uh, Lane Street is saying that uh, was the car charged a gate fee, which is another good question, really. <laughs> For goodness sake, honestly. Bunch of comedians there. I know. They're much funnier than we are, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there we go. Right, okay. We should probably move on to the next story. Thanks for that, Jeff. Sure. So the next story is on the AINonline.com website. And uh, thank you, um, John. Uh, China <laughs> presses ahead with airport infrastructure boom. So, as airports across the globe continue to face unprecedented revenue pressures following a near collapse in air connectivity, China continues to buck the trend with a surge of new airport development projects across the mainland. The country completed and put into service 12 new airports, really? Since work on them resumed in March, the Civil Aviation Administration of China, or the CAAC, said in a press briefing on Thursday. Officials expect the uh, 13th airport... Ankang Fungang Airport <laughs> in Shengyi Province to open in October, while construction of Wulong Yangsha Airport in southwest China's <laughs> Qingying municipality nears completion. Meanwhile, the enlarged Zhangqiao Ningguang Airport reopened on August the 3rd. God, I'm bossing this. <laughs> Considered one of the key supporting airports for the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics, the airport boasts a new terminal apron which uh, uh, in the extended uh, runway and can now accommodate up to 1 million passengers a year from 600,000 previously. In the context of the COVID-19 pandemic, China's airport construction binge might seem overly ambitious. However, expanding and modernizing critical infrastructures at breakneck speed serves a larger purpose, namely the development of local economies, particularly in low-income areas. Since late March, work on nearly, uh, more than 30 major airport projects has resumed, including at China's fourth-largest international hub, at Chengdu Daifu Yes, that as well. Chengdu Tangfu <laughs> International Airport, which developers expect to finish next year, according to the CAAC. Continuing to ex expand air transportation services in poverty-stricken areas remains a key ambition as China enters the home stretch of its 13-5-year uh, plan, which runs through 2020. The CAAC will continue to, uh, to deepen the implementation of various tasks for poverty alleviation in 2020 to ensure the completion and commissioning of new airports such as Wulong and the start of construction on new edge of new airports such as Shuzhou as the focus of poverty alleviation work within the industry, uh, said Bao Yi, Deb, uh, Deputy Director of the CAAC's Development <laughs> Department. While China, John is going to, so anyway, while China banks on its domestic travel to spur economic growth, the country also cautiously introduced regular international services to 50 countries. By August the 12th, which I must say is a brilliant date, 
19 Chinese carriers and 74 foreign operators were carrying out 210 domestic round trips along 187 international routes on a weekly basis. However, the CAAC has moved to temporarily suspend Changi Etihad, Shanghai Etihad Airways flights from Abu Really, John? <laughs> From Abu Dhabi. I have flown into Abu Dhabi before, thank you. <laughs> to Shanghai. Uh, China Eastern Airlines flights from Manila to Shanghai and Sri Lanka. Uh, airlines flights from Colombo uh, to Shanghai for a period of four weeks starting in August the 17th after passengers tested for COVID-19. Now, and I, I, think, I think the only way that I can sort of get us out of that, basically, is uh, that if you enjoyed the pronunciations of that particular story, <laughs> then please do send us an email to I am terribly offended at plaintalkinguk.com. That's probably the answer. Forward slash uh, to ABG. That yeah, yeah, absolutely. No. It's, uh, that is the... Uh, well, yeah, well, you look like you really enjoyed that one there. And, uh, Paul Tricker was can, really can impressed we just, as can well. We just, can, we, can we just go back? Can we just go back to the story? Let's, okay. Let's, sorry, let's yes. just put this in a, in a perspective. Really? Yeah. Twelve uh, new airports since work resumed on them in march True. these guys these guys can literally turn like a pile of soil into an airport in like 10 minutes <laughs> you know whereas it's taken us in the uk like six thousand years to even think about having an extra runway at heathrow oh oh steady Oof, just saying, I'm just saying, good point. I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, just don't saying. get me started on the Crossrail project either. That's another can, can oh, of blimey. But, uh, okay, well, but no, th- well we, that, we all, we all shall, enjoyed um... that story. Uh, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> yeah, I was supposed to have that one, but I chickened out. Mm. That's the joys of being uh, involved in the planning process, isn't it? Never mind. There we go. <laughs> Shall we move so on? So moving on to the next story, which... Matt is uh, Matt is going to read, and uh, he's going to have a whiz on this story. Right, indeed. Uh, this is on the independent.co.uk website. And the headline is, Wizz Air takes on EasyJet at Gatwick Airport. Uh, so uh, Gatwick Airport, which, is, which has been the hardest hit of all the major UK hubs, could once again become a battleground for European air travel. Wizz Air is to open a base at the Sussex Airport with links to Athens, Lanzarote, Malta and Naples. Uh, It has been granted sufficient slots to uh, make a one aircraft operation viable. That's interesting. The Hungarian Carriers UK subsidiary, which will base an Airbus A321 at Gatwick, will, uh, with flights beginning on the 22nd of October, in time for the autumn half term. Wizz Air UK says the move will create more than 40 jobs directly and around three times as many indirectly. Uh, Owen Jones, who is the managing director, said today's announcement of our new Gatwick base and four new routes reinforces Wizz Air UK's position as a British airline that is growing, creating new jobs, bringing much-needed connectivity to the UK and so helping the economy get back in the air. Spain and Malta are currently on the UK's no-go list with uh, returning passengers facing um, two weeks uh, in quarantine. EasyJet, which is by far the largest operator at Gatwick, is likely to respond. Uh, It has more than 70 aircraft based at the airport. Gatwick has seen Virgin Atlantic close its base where the airline started. British Airways move many services 
uh, to Heathrow and EasyJet, uh, downsizing operations significantly too. In addition, the low-cost airline Norwegian has suspended operations at the Sussex hub. Uh, the airport's chief executive, Stuart Wingate, said this is encouraging news for Gatwick, particularly at a time when the industry has been so negatively impacted by the virus. Um, having new aircraft based at Gatwick underpins the resilience of our business for long term and ensures we continue to offer our passengers great choice. This is a welcome indication of the positive uh, conversations we've been having with airlines, both existing and new, about securing Gatwick's future. Wizz Air has also announced a one aircraft base at Doncaster um, in Sheffield uh, with um, oh, uh, Doncaster Sheffield, sorry, that's uh, one airport. It's a bit like London Luton, isn't it? Uh, serving <laughs> Alicante, Malaga, uh, Larnaca, Faro, uh, Lublin, uh, Cossis, and oh, I can't pronounce the last one. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, I want to say Sasiva. Um, but I'll probably get shouted at in my ear in a moment. So, uh, but it's good. It's good news, really. So, what? That seems like an awful lot of routes for people to be running with one aircraft, though. No. Okay. Excellent. Uh, <laughs> yes, it does. Yeah, they're just going to be basing. Uh, if I've read that correctly, they're going to be basing one aircraft at, uh, at Gatwick, and they're going to, you know, sort of doing several routes. But well, you know, hey. Suppose... Well, they'll be a very busy crew. It, well, yeah, there is that. It's probably multiple crews, to be fair. But mm, uh, mm. yeah, good news for Gatwick, though, because uh, as I say, they they have been sort of hit quite hard, haven't they? By, oh yeah. By that, especially especially losing someone like Virgin Atlantic, obviously, and then BA moving yeah. a lot of their fl- flights to to Heathrow, I suppose. But then I guess that's you know it, it's uh, as I say, I, I don't think it's going to be closing anytime soon. Let's be honest. Um, but yeah, good news. So Jeff, the next story, which is all yours, is for once actual good news for Boeing about the Max. I can't believe it. All right, I need to uh, communicate with the uh, director. I am not supposed to read this, or I am? Oh. Okay. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> Reading um, from the link. <laughs> from the link. Okay, you want me to read the link, okay? It's uh, HTTPS <laughs> colon slash slash. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, let's see. From Reuters.com. Boeing scores year's first 737 MAX order with Polish airline Enter Air. Now, before I continue with the reading of this article, try to figure out exactly which airplane we're talking about here. Boeing company won its first order for the granted 737 MAX this year after Poland's Enter Air SA agreed to buy up to four variants of the jet, the U.S. plane maker said on Wednesday. The jet's recertification is still hanging in the balance more than a year after its worldwide grounding due to Two fatal crashes and the plane maker's woes have whoa, have been compounded by the coronavirus crisis. <laughs> Quick drink, everyone. Getting <laughs> uh, air travel. Boeing's customers have canceled more than 400 orders for the 737 MAX jets this year. The company said last week, based on a tighter accounting standard, the 737 MAX order cancellations and conversions to other aircraft models now stand at 864. The plane maker said on Wednesday that Enter Air placed a new order for two 737-8 aircraft with options for two more jets. When the purchase agreement is fully exercised, Enter Air's 737 MAX fleet will rise to 10 aircraft, Boeing said. You see the things going on here? We're, we're hearing it uh, referred to as uh, different names, and mm-hmm. I think uh, Ryanair even has 
kind of rebranded it to what yeah, the eighty two hundred. Yeah, that's right. Like yeah, that? yeah, they. they they rebranded it to yeah. the 8200. So, I mean, it's just, I, I mean, I saw, I saw this story and got all excited thinking that maybe we were going to get a little bit of clarity here. But the, the statement from Boeing has essentially done the precise opposite of that. Uh, we still have no idea, really. It's just, I mean, do you, I mean, is, are they wasting their time? Because everybody's going to know that it's still, uh, they, they're going to know it's a max still. No, 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 no. Come on, Nat. You give the public way too much credit. <laughs> They have no idea. They don't even know what a 737 is. Come on. Yeah. Well, I know, I know the media don't seem to for the amount no. of time. To, don't, get, don't get started on that. And they're Actually, more informed than yeah. the public. Well, that, that is the theory, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, it's worth, worth noting, actually, Matt. You know, you've always said in the past about uh, how Ryanair has a, has a, has a single uh, model fleet, the Dash 800. Yes. Um, mm. Enter Air have done the same thing. Enter Air have a 737-800 fleet complete, 22 of those, not as many as Ryanair, obviously, but mm. they've just got purely just 737-800s in their fleet, and obviously these Max is coming when they um, get delivered. Wow. So they've got a similar kind of idea, I think. Stick to one type of aircraft mm -hmm. and hopefully save money. Well, and, and It's worked this... for one of the airlines here in the U.S. and a couple over there in Europe, so it's a good yeah. model. Uh, yeah, I, again, it's that 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 thing, isn't it? Where it's I suppose it's easy on parts, isn't it? You can you know you get lots training, of parts and crew uh, training, you know everything. Training is huge. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know there, there isn't multiple aircrafts and stuff. I mean, you know there, it's, if you've got multi fleet, um, you know, you, and presumably you're not you, crew don't fly one particular um, aircraft. It worked for Southwest. Time, they? Um, so it worked well for Southwest. Mm -hmm. They've done incredibly yeah. well with the seven three. Uh, mm -hmm. And a part of me, the, the most surprising thing about that story for me personally was the fact that somebody's just bought one. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's still not, it's, uh, they're still grounded, right? I haven't lost the, the plot there. No, yep. they're still grounded, yeah. They uh, <laughs> just issued a notice for public rulemaking, the FAA did anyway, and I think it closes uh, sometime September 21st or something like that. Mm. Um, uh, getting, you know, uh, eliciting commentary from people regarding, you know, what they think that Boeing and the FAA should do at this point, but apparently they've worked out all the issues involving MCAS and certification issues. So um, we, uh, of course, if the um, the public uh, commentary doesn't close until late September, I can't imagine that we're going to really see the recertification of this jet until at you know at the minimum at the end of the year or maybe beyond. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So we've got um, we've got a, guys, a special uh, guest joining us. He's uh, obviously in a uh, restaurant with Captain Al due to his uh, face wear. But uh, welcome, uh, Micah. Hi, guys. It's so nice to be invited to join you and uh, very, very happy to see you. And I'm coming to you live from the Mac Jets FBO here at KPWM at the Portland Jet Board. And uh, I'm uh, here because uh, I was invited down to come and walk around a KC-135. Getting back to the last story, I just have to comment on this. And, Jeff, I'm really curious what you have to say about that. Why in the world would the FAA open up public comment about the recertification of the 737 MAX? What's the public going to say? I'm still scared to fly on it. I don't want to go. I'm, you know, what, what kind of comment? I can't wait to read through the comments and see what there is. It's just, it makes no sense to me. It's just for entertainment purposes, I think. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you are, you know, I mean, the, the, you know, the whole Max thing has been a joke from start to finish. I think, to be fair, so you may as well go for full entertainment. 
<laughs> so, so how are, how are things with the uh, KC135, Micah? I'm, I'm guessing you, you've had a walk around or you're now going to have a walk around? Or... I had the walk around already. Unfortunately, I did have the Zoom link in time, so I couldn't bring it to you live. But I did send you some photos. I don't know if you can get them to, uh, to Matt to post yep, them on the Yep, I'll screen. ping those to Matt. Okay, so uh, but send them to the, um, the PTUK number. That'll be the easiest thing for me. Righty-ho, will do. <laughs> So how, how is it? How is it? How is the understanding oh. what, um, what you're saying, Michael? What, what are you saying? Michael, can I take my mask what? off over here? Okay. Sue said I could take it off, but please notice it's a tab fabric mask. Look at all the little airplanes. Well, look at that. That, 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 that Brian called. Is that one of Brian Coleman's? Made for yeah. me and that all the proceeds, tab fabric on Etsy, uh, all the proceeds go to the uh, uh, Pasadena women's shelter. So, uh, it's, it's a very special mask, and besides, you know, with the sunglasses and the and the mask, who is that mask man? You didn't even know it was me until I told you. Yeah, we couldn't recognize your voice. Yeah, now now, now you can recognize my voice. <laughs> How's that? Any better? <laughs> oh yeah! Oh, it's Micah. Oh, thank goodness. Oh, oh, Micah. Micah. Yeah, that that that'll work really well on an audio podcast. Thanks for that, Jen. <laughs> um, <laughs> never mind. Hey, all part of the fun. Uh, so, so, so uh, tell us a bit about uh, your walk around there, then, Michael. What was uh, what was it like? Well, it was it was really fabulous. Uh, Jackie, who uh, works here at uh, at NAC Jets, knows that I love big gray military aircraft as well as many other aircraft. And when she gets something special in, she sends me a text. And so she sent me a text to let me know that it was here. And uh, she let me know an hour before it was arriving on Wednesday, unfortunately, and I couldn't make it. But she said, come on down and we'll take a walk around. So she took me out on the tarmac and uh, and we walked around it. And I got to tell her a little bit of the, the history of the KC-135 and where it came from and, and why, it was, uh, why it was developed. And we just had a, a fabulous time. Took a bunch of great photos. I've never been that close to one uh well, I, I take that back. I have been inside one once before, but uh, this is as close to airplanes as I have been since last year, based on this crazy, crazy world we're living in right now. I won't say the C word. But, um, <laughs> Not unless you've got a drink. Those are the rules. <laughs> exactly. But, uh, but it was just fabulous to be able to, uh, to walk out of the tarmac and walk right up to it, and hopefully, uh, Matt, you'll get the pictures. And yeah, they're hopefully was. winging their way to the correct device any moment. <laughs> and, uh, and also, in other great news, as some of you know, I've been having some issues with my back and was originally supposed to have surgery, which we've been managing to avoid and have avoided through physical therapy. This is the farthest I have been able to walk. And I, if this would have happened last year at this time, I don't know if I would have been able to do it. I mean, you saw what I was like back in September, Jeff, uh, when you were up here and we uh, got to go to a small air show. And uh, this was just great. So it was a real revelation for me to be able to get close to an airplane again. And it's as close as I've been to an airplane since uh, since Jeff and I had a chance to uh, explore the B-24 and B-17 uh, last year up in Lewiston. That's great. Good to hear you're making great progress, Micah. Yeah, it's going great. So uh, I can actually, if you'd like, I'm going to I'll walk you around and take you on a quick tour. Let me move the camera around. Jeff, this may look a little familiar to you. This is the, uh, the jet port uh, from a distance, obviously. Okay. I'm standing yeah. at the window here. And uh, there's a tower. And there's a windsock. I'm hoping you can see it there. I'm 
Oh, that's what again. an airport looks like. I remember. <laughs> and it's been a while. Uh, Jeff, you've flown <laughs> here many times, and <laughs> yeah, as I, I go down this way, there's the, uh, the Harbor Visual. Come if you were coming in the Harbor Visual, you'd be landing right over there. Mm-hmm. And when I walk over to this window, way down there, you can see the KC135 that I just walked around. Indeed, and the as I say, I've got I've got uh, I've got uh, four of the pictures up there, so we'll just we'll just uh, share with everyone the, what what you've sent now. So uh, there we go. This is the first one. As I say, it's um, it's it's a it's a beast, isn't it? It's a well, the Boeing seven hundred seven was developed from this aircraft and because of this aircraft. Um, originally, uh, the tanker before this was the. Uh, I think the KB-50 and the uh, K-397. And they just weren't fast enough to keep up. Well, they could fuel the old B-36 bombers, but they weren't fast enough to keep up with the B-47, the first all-jet bomber that really got involved in SAC. So Boeing, who created the B-47, had to come up with an aircraft to, uh, to be able to refuel, the, uh, the, uh, be- refuel it. So they developed the Dash-80, uh, okay. which... Uh, some of us have seen down in the uh, Uberhazi Center in Washington, D.C., and uh, from the Dash 80 was developed this aircraft, and this aircraft ended up becoming the uh, 707, which is really what started the uh, the airline in the jet age of the airline industry was the Boeing 707. So uh, it's uh, it, it basically looks just like one, and uh, you know, other than it's a little gray and it's got a boom on the back of it which you and it's not got pratt and whitney jt8ds yeah it's got much larger engines now (laughs) yes it definitely has been re-engined definitely re-engined and apparently the pilot who was flying this one has flown this particular uh aircraft for about 10 years um and it's based out of uh uh out of jennifer from jennifer's hometown out in uh in uh in ohio Fantastic. I mean, they're great mm. photos, Michael. Thank you very much for sending them in and uh, and sharing them with us. And thank you very much for, for dialing in and, and sharing your experience. Uh, uh, well, I hope you have a, a very enjoyable rest of your day. Have, uh, have, got much else planned before you uh, head home? Oh, just a little grocery shopping, you know, a oh. few things here there. <laughs> wow. Oh, the glamour. <laughs> very exciting oh, the glamour. day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, well, thanks very, very much for joining. Very glamorous life. Yeah, thanks for joining in, Micah, and thanks for sharing that with us. And um, uh, we'll catch up with you on the show properly really soon, hopefully. I hope so. You guys have a good time, and goodbye to everyone. Thanks, Micah. Take care, Bye, Micah. Bye. Wow. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? Thanks for that, Micah. That was... That was uh, it's He's a lucky... He's a lucky, lucky fellow, isn't he? Getting invited to go and look at these things, as you do, absolutely. It's, it's, it's not what you know; it's who, isn't it? I think that's yeah, exactly. Indeed. Anyway, where were we? I have no idea. Uh, so the next story <laughs> is uh, this one is on the Kotaku.co.uk website. <laughs> you have another go. Show notes. <laughs> Links will be in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's lots and of- uh, for those of you who uh, who do the flight semi type stuff, which uh, I'll be doing again tomorrow morning when I. Uh, plug everything back into where I'm sitting here now. Um, this is the Microsoft Flight Simulator that obviously was released this week, the brand new Microsoft mm. Flight Simulator. And uh, John has been having a go on this, which he's been uh, having lots of fun with, and sent us the uh, visuals, which were, well, stunning. Let's just put it that way. So the headlines on this story, it's uh, quite interesting, actually, for those of you who live in the UK. Microsoft Flight Simulator turns Buckingham Palace into a block of flats 
So Microsoft Flight Simulator, in many ways, a masterpiece of AI and machine learning, powerful enough to have mapped out a scale model of the entire planet. With that, much ground to cover. However, there are always going to be a few mistakes. On a virtual trip around London, the BBC found that landmarks like the Shard and the Houses of Parliament were more or less intact. Sadly, though, many of the bridges that would uh, help you get to them had mysteriously sunk into the Thames. <laughs> Elsewhere, the AI has uh, had to guess at the textures it wants to apply to specific buildings. Most notable is Buckingham Palace, which has had its neoclassical architecture replaced with that of a generic block of flats. Yeah, I ju- now I've just actually paused. If you take a look at the visuals there, uh, this is what... Um, now, I think a lot of this data came from Bing Maps, from what I understand. And uh, this, is, this is essentially what they think is Buckingham Palace, the image to the right of the aircraft they think is Buckingham Palace. Looks just like it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. You can almost <laughs> see the Queen giving us a little wave. Yes, indeed. Yes, she was in residence that day, you know, in her, her block of flats. But, I mean, all jokes aside, I mean, it's a, it's a great... It's a great video, isn't it? It's a, it's, Actually, the, the detail this, is incredible. The story does uh, continue, and this is something that's been pointed out to me today by someone I've been seeing, or seen today out. The palace is at least where it's supposed to be, unlike some other landmarks. The gherkin, which is what I heard today, is entirely absent from the simulation. And uh, it says here that uh, they, they're prepared to cut developer Asobo Studios some slack. However, especially because its new take on London is a perfect practice run for what will happen if the Eat the Rich gang ever come good <laughs> on their threats. Now, it, it does you know, cast a question whether to how when Microsoft released the original with the previous version of Microsoft Flight mm. Sim, which I did have, um, with that, came additional add-on scenery packs. So you could buy scenery packs for uh, various parts states in the US. You could also buy scenery packs for various counties or for areas in, in England, such as east of England. You could buy a scenery pack. And these add-on packs were an additional anywhere from 40 to £50 pounds to buy an additional scenery pack. Now, what does beg the question whether Microsoft will release... Um, more in-depth sure scenery packs for, or, or update them, in yeah. fact. I think they might update Buckingham Palace, certainly. As I say, we're, I'll just go back to that video very quickly. Here's a, a slightly different angle look. Uh, you, know, the, you know the lovely fountain that's at the top of the mall? Um, that, that's it there. I don't, it looks like a load of houses. I don't, I don't know looks, what's <laughs> So I'm a little concerned that there's a big pickle miss, missing. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple of the things. Gherkin. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. gherkin's missing. <laughs> What, what is that? That's the Pentagon there, I think, isn't it? The Pentagon just flew over. Oh, look, it is the Pentagon. <laughs> Something not quite right there, is it? But uh, yes, uh, no. There's a very, there's a very tall Birkin in. in there's, a, there's a very tall building in the in the centre of London that's referred to as the Gherkin. Um, I oh. ask. It's uh, anyway. It says. Uh, does it look like a big giant pickle? <laughs> it does indeed. It's, yes, it's quite okay. green on the outside. Anyway, uh, and Lay Street is saying it's a flight simulator, not a sightseeing simulator, which is probably a good point. <laughs> um, but um, oh, good, good, good. Point. Good point, line. Good point, line. Yeah. Uh, although uh, Paul is jumping to our defence here, Paul Tricker, and he's saying very true, but it's 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 great uh, that it looks reasonably realistic, uh, certainly from a few thousand feet. Now, actually, uh, we were sent another video by John, and he did a little bit of a a uh, guided well, it's not guided tour, but he had a little bit of a fly round. So let's uh, let's give that a quick watch.
So I'll say one thing from the, from the perspective of someone who plays X-Plane 11 frequently is that the the internal visuals of the cockpit and the kind of distant view of of scenery is very good. It's definitely very good. But I will say that X-Plane 11 definitely depicts runway textures a lot better. It might be different with other runways, but um, definitely uh, I think X-Plane does, you know, kind of pit the uh, post with the... Uh, runway textures but it, it does look good i mean i will say that microsoft have done a really good job with this and like i said the especially with the uh the the, the water on here as well the water looks fantastic oh there's the eiffel tower there's the eiffel tower on there which is also good mm-hmm. so also actually this was a a screen grab rather than a, like a, a video recording which is why it's uh, it was a lot smoother than this um when the links were set sort of sent earlier but let me let them fly around the pyramids look it's the light that's what's getting me like where it's obviously going dark uh, mm. you know sort of sunset there and that I mean it's the attack of attention to detail Are you, ever been much into sort of flight sim flying Jeff uh, not at all no I've not uh, <laughs> prefer to fly the real done thing <laughs> Jeff hates the sim Jeff hates the sim <laughs> I, this kind of sim I wouldn't mind but I don't they really the technology wasn't really great um, you know early on in my flying career and by the time I was actually flying real airplanes I, I didn't feel um, the need to, to do the yeah. uh, flight simulation but to- really come a long way I'm pretty very impressed with the uh, Actually, I'm going to cover that a little bit. So, actually, this is so. This is basically this picture here um, that John's put together for us here is a like a flight you know, Microsoft flight sim through the years type thing. So, you yeah. look at the top mm. left as it sort of slowly sort of improves and stuff. I mean, really, that I mean, it it really has um, really has come on something uh, incredible, hasn't it? Like, actually, it's, it's worth noting as well, Matt. There's there is a few videos online on YouTube, especially of um, where uh, professional um, pilots who fly the Dreamliner have uh, flown the Dreamliner on this game uh, when it was released this week, and they've done a video. And one of the videos was with uh, um, a pilot who flies for Norwegian, and he flew the 787-8, I think, right? Yeah, 8-9. And he did say that um, visually that the game is fantastic, but he said the actual flight deck and the the aircraft that... uh, that they've got on the game is pretty much there, but there are a few key things that, that Microsoft haven't put in on the flight deck, which are quite important, quite important. to a yeah. pilot. Well, yeah. One of them being the EFB. Yeah. Well, you know, it, we, we won't go on about it because we, we could go on about, cause we're, you know, we, we love stuff like this, don't we? But uh, yeah, 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 it's, uh, if anybody else uh, uh, gets their hands on it and uh, has a bit of a fly, we, we'd love to hear about your experiences. So do please send those into podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. The email address podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Don't forget also, we do have a WhatsApp number plus four, four, seven, five, seven, two, two, four, nine, one, six, six. And the best thing about that is if you send a message at two o'clock in the morning, you wake up Carlos. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you yeah love it <laughs> absolutely love it so please do anyway we'll move on to the next story and this is on this is good i like this yeah absolutely this is on the daily mirror uh at, well it's good it's yes and no i suppose but anyway the london well, city airport when it's finished yes well that's true uh london city airport's 500 million pound makeover is forced to be paused basically during the pandemic um it, so london city has announced it will tempor- 
temporarily pause its five million pound uh, development at the end of the year due to the coronavirus pandemic. The airport is currently undergoing a huge makeover complete with brand new terminal for passengers. However, the pandemic has meant that with ongoing effects uh, on the travel and aviation industry, the airport will be temporarily pushing back its plans. As the work has already begun, the airport will pause development and the at the end of the year after new aircraft stands a full-length parallel taxiway and uh, passenger facilities, including a new immigration facility with 10 new e-gates, has been completed. The airport in t- uh, initially suspended commercial flights when the pandemic broke earlier this year, but reopened in June with the new health and safety measures. Uh, during the closure, workers made significant progress in uh, with crucial elements of the scheme. The decision to push back flights of the development has also come as... Uh, Although flights have reopened, the airport says that recovery to previous levels will take longer than initially expected, causing a revaluation of the timing of the various phases. Still, there are aims to to complete a uh, number of projects by the end of 2020, including a new baggage facility and security screening technology, both of which are set to launch next summer. Robert Sinclair, the CEO of London City Airport, said that given our location in the heart of London and the resilience nature of aviation the airport and our shareholders remain very confident about the long-term prospects of london city and the vital role we can play in reconnecting london and the british economy as we recover from the shock of 20 of covid19 for the time being we have taken the decision to focus our attention on delivering the vital additional airfield infrastructure which will provide our existing and prospective airlines uh, customers with the potential to bring new aviation aircraft uh, new generation aircraft sorry to this airport in greater numbers which will be a crucial aspect of how we build a better more sustainable airport completing the terminal extension and new east pier very much remains part of our future and with the foundations for both uh, the foundations for both in place we stand ready to take those projects forward when demand returns in months uh, in the months ahead we will work with airlines and government to help restore confidence in the uk aviation market and we will continue to support our local authority and our communities as they plan for life beyond the crisis um obviously it's a shame that a project like this has had to be paused but um i guess we can sort of understand why can't we at the moment i mean Mm. there's uh, there's so much going on uh as i say uh, although they are doing it in china which is um you know i suppose a, a very good point isn't it they're they're um it's not sort of holding them back there but I don't know perhaps we're being a bit more nervous I don't know anyway I'm really bored about talking about coronavirus type stuff should we move on oh just a, just a bit though Matt that does, that does if it looks anything like it does in the video in the videos that, yeah, uh, it'll be a great on there, it, will, it will look really really good Honestly, yeah. I've never it'll been to really London's, London City I don't know what it's like now to be honest with you we'll have to ask Nev next week won't we yeah, yeah, Nev's city. Yeah. We'll have to ask Nev. It's a big city, yes. <laughs> Surprised you've never it? been there. I've been there. Right, uh, yes, okay, fair enough. <laughs> so, Jeff, I don't think I can get got... a coach in there anymore. I think that's probably what. I'd... Anyway. Oh, yeah, Je- could be. Jeff, you've got the uh, you've got the last story, Jeff. And, oh, um, good. This is, this is all about those um, amazing things that have rotors on that, been round and round. Oh, well, please. it's obvious that you saved this for me because I'm a helicopter pilot. <laughs> I'm not a helicopter pilot. Okay, helicopter training set to take off at Blackpool Airport from the Blackpool Gazette. 
let's see. The team behind International Helicopter Support Business Helispeed Services has started offering helicopter flying lessons based at Hangar 3. These will be the first rotary wing lessons to come from the airport in two years. But more significantly, because the Helispeed has uh, years of experience in matching pilots and engineers to jobs worldwide, the new Helispeed Academy aims to train helicopter pilots with the specific skills they need to secure high-paid jobs. Business owner Jeff Packer, who himself, I love that name, Jeff Packer, who himself learned to fly at Blackpool Airport 30 years ago, said, depending on which specific skills and role a pilot has, misspelling, helicopter pilots could earn between 300 and 800 pounds per day. He said, we will teach beginners to fly and help existing pilots keep their skills up, but we will also offer specific world-class training so that our students' skills will be top class and suited to the role they want to carry out, from flying for the oil and gas sector to being a helicopter ferry pilot to search and rescue or flying from the back of a millionaire's luxury yacht. Ooh, I'd like to do that one. So um, shall I continue to read, or is that good enough? I think that'll probably do when it that'll do. That's giving us the gist of it, isn't it? It's uh... yeah. actually I was just looking, Matt, all about uh, getting a, getting your helicopter because we all know about pilot's license, but the helicopter license because um, we have we're You're very not lucky. Talking to me, where, surely. <laughs> where well, where we live, Matt, here yes. in the east of England, we're, we're lucky that we actually do have a uh, helicopter training academy not far from us, actually. Mm, yes, that's and, true. Um, they they say that um, so it's a forty five hours of flying twenty five hours must be dual instruction, uh, ten hours of solo flying including five hours cross country. The course is structured allows for an approved syllabus including both ground briefings and flight uh, exercises. You must be a minimum of seventeen years old to go for your uh, helicopter license, and uh, also you have to have and obtain a class two medical certificate and then you've got to pass seven written exams uh, pass a radio exam and pass a flight test uh, with an examiner to demonstrate your skills and then you can have a uh, jar fcl ppl for a easy peasy yeah you said a load of numbers <laughs> there like that a lot mean, of stuff that you said a load of numbers there that mean literally doesn't zero doesn't say how much this it doesn't say how much uh, exactly it would cost but just free. to give you just free. to give I hope so. <laughs> Just to give you uh, an idea, most of the listeners will probably know what a Robinson R44 uh, helicopter is. Um, Thank you, pardon. Quite a few of them here in the UK. But for uh, for a 60-minute trial flight in a, the Robinson's R44, um, for those of you who may be in the US watching or listening to the show, a 60-minute trial flight here in the UK in a Robinson R44 will set you back £510. What, an hour? Thanks. For a trial lesson for an hour, for one, one hour, hour, for a trial lesson in an R44. They are expensive things to operate. You could go to the states and back for that, pretty much, couldn't you? Yeah, but can you land vertically? No, no, you can't. But no, if, no, if you'd like to sponsor Matt to do a no, fifteen-minute no, hover challenge, not. Uh, that'll absolutely cost you one hundred and fifteen pounds. I can't think of. I don't even know where to begin to tell you what's wrong with that idea. Uh, it's just like no. 
It's, nothing has been said on the podcast. I'm going to delete it from the logs. That is that is that is the advantage of being the one in charge of all the, all the, all the oh, uploading dear. and stuff. Okay, I, I need to lie down in a darkened room. To, now, be, to be to be completely honest with you, Matt, I. I... I have no interest in learning how to fly a helicopter either. So. Oh no! I, I yeah. mean, if, if money wasn't an object, it would be something I'd love to to, to learn to really? do. Really? Yeah. No. 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 Absolutely. They, okay. they they amaze me. It's their. As I say, I've 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 referred to them. It's like you know, aeroplanes are made by engineers. Helicopters are made by people from Hogwarts. It there's there's no. It's <laughs> it's just you know it's it's it defies physics as far as I'm concerned. Frankly, I'm, I'm just checking the chat rooms <laughs> to see if anyone's uh, piped up. Right. Nobody. Hopefully, uh, with any silly ideas. Anyway, can you? Move Move on, please. <laughs> Stop it. Oh yeah, Rich Holmes agrees. Anyway, no, moving back no. <laughs> to uh, moving back to the show. Uh, this uh, the next part of the show. Anyway, moving swiftly on. Uh, over the last few weeks, uh, you remember a few weeks back, we ran a competition to win that all important voucher, which uh, was won uh, by Andrew Van der Sarg and uh, Andrew Keegan. Very kindly came on the show back on episode three twenty four uh, to give us that voucher. But you must remember that. Uh, Part of the competition was to send us in your aviation in my life stories. And uh, for the next few weeks, as you know, we'll be playing out the stories that have been sent to us by everyone who did send us a story. And uh, coming up this week, we have got uh, the all-important story from Stephen Taylor, all about aviation in his life. So here it is. I am a long-time listener of the PTUK podcast, and after hearing the announcement of your Plane Reclaimers online shop competition, Aviation in My Life, I have finally stumped up the courage to submit my first bit of feedback. I have been very fortunate to have been around aviation for all of my 36 years, and much to Captain Al's dismay, the aviation I have been around was of the grey variety. My biggest aviation interest is potentially somewhat controversial. As much as I love all things that fly, in my book, Rotary Aviation is where it is at. For my story of aviation in my life, I would like to regale the tale of my first helicopter flight. My first helicopter flight, and only my second flight ever, came about on the morning of the 2nd of February 1998. I was just a normal 14-year-old boy walking the family dog in the half-term holidays when I was interrupted by my father, whose car screeched to a halt near to the field where Ben and I were enjoying the crisp morning air. This was rather strange as my father was supposed to be at work, but all would soon become apparent. At the time, we lived at RAF Northolt, located in the London borough of Hillingdon, where my father was stationed as a helicopter navigator. This posting was no ordinary posting for him, however. This posting was with number 32, the Royal Squadron. My father's career had seen him start with pilot training on the jet provost, which was going well until the instrument phase, where it was decided for him that perhaps navigator training would be a better bet. Upon successful completion of navigator and basic fast jet navigator training on the Hawk and the Domini, it was on to the Phantom OCU. It was here at the Phantom OCU, however, that it was decided that perhaps Captain Nick and my father's paths would not cross in a crew capacity. And so, it was on to Arya Flossiemouth in Morayshire for his first posting on the Avro Shackleton AEW Mark II. The shack, in this guise, was used for airborne early warning, and my father spent four years hunting bears and any other visitors from the east 
before talking Captain Nick and his chums onto them for a game of international cat and mouse. Following a ground tour in Germany, it was back to the UK and to transition to Rotary, predominantly flying the Westland Wessex in the search and rescue role. My earliest childhood memories start at this point, and from then on I have been passionate about helicopters, with many a happy hour spent in crew rooms, listening to tales of daring do and in hangars climbing all over them. I was in awe of these machines and longed to be able to take flight and put into reality the sensations that my imagination had conjured up from the times I had spent pretending to fly whilst playing in the cockpits and cabins of these wonderful machines. And back to that February morning. My father was clearly in a rush to be somewhere. That somewhere was work. Only he needed my mother, sister and I to accompany him. It transpired that a family's flight had been authorised and keen for us not to miss out, he had gone on a foraging mission to round us all up. With all of us in tow, it was on to the base and the familiar surrounds of the squadron. Only today's visit wasn't to pop in quickly for my father to get something or drop something off mid-Saturday morning grocery shop, as often happened. Today's visit had much more purpose about it. As we waited for the safety brief, it was very apparent that this would be no ordinary flight, or ordinary helicopter. The helicopter that I would take my very first flight in was the helicopter that remains today to be my favourite, the Westland Wessex. However, this is no ordinary Wessex, but one of only two VVIP HCC4 variants. The Wessex was a turbine-powered development of the American Sikorsky S-58, that was developed for the UK to fulfil the need for a general-purpose helicopter capable of troop-carrying, air ambulance and ground attack roles. The two HCC-4s were subsequently ordered to equip the Queen's Flight, which became in number 32 the Royal Squadron in 1995. The HCC-4s were built to HC-2 standards, but with the main cabin having a VIP interior finish furnishings and soundproofing, plus an external step below the cabin door, and Decker Mark 19 rolling map display navigation equipment installed on the flight deck. The HCC-4s were also very distinctive with their red and dark blue paint scheme. The HCC-4s were sadly retired in 1998, when 32 Squadron gave up the task of providing helicopters for the royal family. The Royal Household awarded a 10-year contract to a civilian entity flying S-76s. The Queen's helicopter flight, as it became, operates to this day out of RAF Odium in Hampshire with the F-76. That morning, I remember vividly that the hangar floor was buffed to a perfect shine and my father had told me that the steps up to the elevated cockpit of the Wessex were plated in gold although I often wondered if he was pulling my leg. Either way, this was not your average flying club, but something quite different, something quite special. I recall thinking that the lower passenger cabin, where I now sat, was not quite as plush and grand as I thought it ought to be, especially considering the type of person that normally would have occupied the seat that now supported a 14-year-old with a grin that was literally from ear to ear. Anticipation and excitement grew as things began to happen. New sounds and spells began to fill the air, 
as my father and the pilot set about their business of preparing this graceful machine for flight. Soon the rhythmic thumping of rotor blades filled all of my senses, and as the collective lever was raised and we became wheels light, I was in awe. All of these years, wondering what it must be like to fly in a helicopter, were now about to be answered. Before long, we were airborne and heading east from RAF Northolt for a flight along the London heli lanes. The heli lanes are defined routes through central London, whereby pilots navigate by visual reference to ground features with limited assistance from air traffic control. The HCC-4s were normally crewed by a pilot, a navigator and a ground engineer, with the engineer being responsible for the helicopter always being serviceable and whilst airborne to double up as a VVIP steward. The engineer in the cabin that morning gave me a headset briefly to hear what was going on in the cockpit from my position in the aft port seat of the cabin. The cockpit of the Wessex was situated high above the forward section of the fuselage, immediately above the forward end of the cabin and just aft of the nose section. It was somewhat surreal for me as I looked around in wonderment at how my morning dog walk had evolved into me sitting a thousand feet or so above central London in the Royal Family's helicopter whilst listening to my father and the pilot discuss the building of a new clothing store at a retail park in between air traffic control transmissions and then performing checklists. For them, it was another day at the office, something quite routine and well-practised. But for me, it was something quite different, an experience I will never forget. As we entered the heli lanes, soon famous and noteworthy landmarks I had visited many times whilst touring London came into sight. Wembley Stadium, the River Thames, Big Ben, the Houses of Parliament, St Paul's Cathedral, Buckingham Palace, Canary Wharf and the Millennium Dome all whizzed beneath my feet. The Millennium Dome, back then in 1998, was nothing more than the large circle carved into the ground awaiting construction to start in earnest before its ground opening in less than two years' time. Before I knew it, we were on approach back into RAF Northolt, and within a blink of an eye I was back home and doing what most 14-year-olds do. I don't recall much else about that February half-term, but to this day I remember that flight. A flight made even more special that it was shared by my mother, my father and my sister. The Wessex I flew on that day was XV732, which can still be enjoyed if you visit the Royal Air Force Museum at Hendon. Her sister, XV733, can be viewed at the International Helicopter Museum in Western Supermare. I now have just over 630 hours of flying experience, of which 365 hours or so are in helicopters, and it is this time that I have the greatest fondness for. Owing to my upbringing and the experiences I was very fortunate to have had, from the age of about four, I had dreamed of making a helicopter my office. This dream took 30 years to become a reality, a reality I thought would never come to fruition due to some eyesight deficiencies. However, I never gave up, and as a qualified paramedic, I can now call myself an air ambulance paramedic and a qualified helicopter technical crewman with what I shall call Acme Hems North. One final anecdote before I wrap up this aviation in my life. 
You may recall at the beginning of this tale, I mentioned that my first helicopter flight was only my second flight ever. My first flight ever was in one of 32 Squadron's BAE-146 VVIP aircraft. I suppose not many people can say that their first fixed and rotary wing flights were in the Royals' personal aircraft. I hope you've enjoyed listening to this. I'd like to thank Carlos, Matt, Nev and Armando, as well as the wider aviation podcasters, for bringing together this aviation family. Clear skies and tailwinds. Wow, Stephen, thank you so very much for that. How about that as an experience? Seriously, your very first flight ever was on BA... Was it BA-146, did he say, or BE? No, the helicopter, no, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but he had, I'm jealous because he, he had a chance to fly on the 146. And it's one, it's one, of, yeah. those, it's one of those aircraft, Matt, that we, we had quite frequently visiting um, Norwich, International oh, right. Air, Norwich International Airport. Right, is that Norwich Near London us. Airport? Norwich London, right, yeah. Okay. And um, the, the thing with the BAE one four six, it was it is one of those um, uh, kind of aircraft that they they fl- they flew quite regularly into London City Airport as well. Hmm. But it had it, it had um, someone referred to it as like having four hair dryers um, under under the wing on that. But it was um, it was actually, to be fair, it was a really well built aircraft, one four six, and uh, lasted a, a lot. A, so what know, was it? So remind time. me. A BAE one four six. BAE one four six. Okay. Yeah. 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 That was his first. Yeah. That he was saying that was his first ever experience mm. in that story. Was 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 as as a as a young person basically on that. Uh, Graham's got a great uh, comment here. He's saying great story. Heli flying down the Thames must be amazing. Mm. Uh, that's a good point, actually. I mean, that that is quite a view. I mean, I I've done it a couple of times on on the old Clipper. Uh, if you go to London, actually, uh, and get like I quite often park at the O2 and then go into London on the Clipper, and that is just such a cool experience. So imagine flying that same route. Like, it's safe to say that it's, Stephen Taylor was very lucky. Absolutely, completely mm. agree there. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, it is time to move on to what many would argue when he's here uh, is the best part of the show. Um, but we haven't got Armando, <laughs> so goodness only knows what it's going to be like this week. Uh, Carlos, perhaps you could do the honours and, and do the introductions. So we are going to move on to uh, the part of the show that's uh, always good for uh, all the military fans, especially Mr Warner, if you honour you're listening and you've been in the chat room. <laughs> yeah. So it's time to do the military segment. So if everyone is ready... Here we go. And Armando apparently is in the chat room, so we're we're going to get marked, no doubt, for how well we do here. <laughs> no, I, I loved I like this story because I got I got up close and personal with one of these at Riyadh a few years oh, back. But this is on flightglobal.com, and Boeing has delivered a key training device to support personnel operating the UK Royal Air Force's uh, 737 Next Gen based P 8 Poseidon MRA 1 Maritime Patrol Aircraft Fleet. Manufactured by training specialist CAE, the Operational Flight Trainer OFT was flown from Orlando, Orlando Florida, to Glasgow Presswick Airport in Scotland using an Antonov Airlines-operated AN-124. 
the UK's Defence Equipment and Support Organisation notes that the commercial freighter was employed because of uh, the OFT's width and height that make it too big to be transported by any RAF aircraft, including the Boeing C-17 Air Strategic Airlifter. Weighing 9.5 tonnes, the device is 4.01 metres, or 13 feet, 2 inches wide, and 3.7 metres high, and 7.39 metres long. It was transported by road for the remainder of its journey to RAF Lossiemouth in Moray. One of uh, two such devices ordered for the Royal, uh, Royal Air Force, the OFT, will be used to train Poseidon pilots. Uh, these devices also can be networked with a pair of rear crew trainers used by mission systems operators. The simulators will allow for more complex training of multiple operational scenarios in a structured setting and reduce the cost of carrying out live in-flight training, Boeing says. The equipment will be housed within a $1 million or $132 million strategic facility now being completed by Boeing Defence UK. This also will hold numerous other training devices, uh, three Poseidon aircraft, accommodation for three squadrons and mission support facilities, the company adds. Temporarily being flown by 120 or 120 squadron personnel from RAF Kinloss while infrastructure work nears completion at RAF Blossiemouth, uh, the UK's Poseidon fleet will grow from a current pair of maritime Control aircraft anti-submarine warfare assets to nine strong fleet. Oh, it'll be great to see these flying. Operated by two frontline squadrons, the remaining aircraft on order will continue to arrive in the UK throughout this year and next with the ninth and final aircraft uh, being delivered uh, due at the end of 2021. And I must admit, honestly, these, um, I know that they're, they're obviously based on the 737, but um, seeing these up close and personal is uh, quite a thing. Uh, with these, and it's good to see that we're finally getting in the UK a maritime patrol aircraft back after not having one for so many years. <laughs> well, that is true. That is true. So, uh, Jeff, uh, next story is for you, and it's uh, about uh, Israeli combat aircraft. Yes, and I hope it has a whole bunch of hard words that I cannot pronounce. <laughs> um, let's see. Oh, and yeah, I did. Does Armando uh, pick out these stories? He does, yes, absolutely. Because I noticed that on the last one, uh, it was from Armando, Florida. <laughs> so uh, that was kind of odd. Right. Okay. Um, oh, wait, no, that's Orlando. My bad. Okay, uh, story number two. Here we go. From the Aviationist. I lost control. Uh, <laughs> Aviationist.com. Sorry. For the first time in history, Israeli combat aircraft have landed in Germany to take part in Blue Wings 2020 exercise. On August 17, 2020, six Israeli Air Force F-16C-D's Barak, or Barak uh, belonging to the 101 and 105 squadron from Hadzor Air Base, arrived at Norvenich Air Base in western Germany, where they will remain for two weeks to take part in exercise Blue Wings 2020. The jets, using call sign Atomi one six were supported by three B seven oh seven tankers using the radio call sign Giant One Two Three, a G five fifty C A E W, which is a conformal airborne early warning aircraft, uh, Nachson Altam. How is it that your director always helps you guys out with pronunciations, <laughs> and I don't hear a thing right now? 
I'm the director uh, producer. Okay. Um, not some. <laughs> Liz, are you there? Can you help me, please? Uh, radio okay. call sign Glory One. Oh, I just heard her. And uh, a C-130 radio call sign IAF-133. Interestingly, tomorrow, August 18th, as part of the exercise, a formation led by a IAF G-500 with two Israeli F-16s and two German Air Force Eurofighters will carry out a flyover of the Dachau concentration camp in memory of the Holocaust victims and will then fly over the hmm, Furstenfeldbruck airport close to Munich in, thank you, in memory of the 11 Israeli Olympic delegation members that were murdered in the 1972 Olympics terrorist attack. The deployment of the Israeli combat aircraft to Germany can be tracked online thanks to ADS-B. It looks like the Israeli formation led by Giant One was met by GAF typhoons. Interestingly, as the radio conversation proves, the B-707 was not willing to say the remaining fuel in minutes when asked by the German pilot. The answer is, quote, we have a lot of fuel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, because that's what they carry. Absolutely, a lot of fuel. <laughs> I think you have to if you do anything like that. It's it's, it's clearly the way forward. It's, that's the only trouble when we do this, isn't it? I sort of do miss it when we don't have Armando because, of course, uh, none of us really know enough about this to be able to pass any comments. So, uh, yes, uh, do feel free to chip in, uh, chat for him, and we'll uh, we'll come back to you perhaps at the end of the military with any comments you've got on the stories. In the meantime, I'll move on to the next one, and uh, it's the. Uh, the, the, Liz says apparently so Auntie Liz says that you're on your own apparently Jeff uh, uh, thanks a lot <laughs> always always a big supporter uh, so anyway so the F uh, the F117 Nighthawks now appear to be flying as adversaries in the red flag aerial war games this is from the drive.com website uh, uh, the F117 Nighthawks story just gets richer with age over the last half decade we have seen a consistent expansion of flying operations by the supposedly retired stealth attack jet. Although I have, uh, it says, although I, not me, uh, have long positioned, uh, posited, sorry, that the F-117 that are still flying would be involved in aggressor operations. The Air Force demand for low observable adversary capabilities that has since become clear alongside this development it has become outrightly apparent that these aircraft are in fact providing red air support for select exercises and uh, developmental <laughs> events now i've had too much beer to read this story this was clearly a mistake uh, now it appears that their role as aggressors has been expanded in the form of participation in red flag the air force's largest international air warfare exercise held multiple times a year across the sprawling nevada test and training range or the nttr with the central hub of the exercise being nellis air force base in north las vegas what we know is that a handful of roughly four dozen F117 um is it 117s how am i supposed to pronounce that does anybody know is it the F117 the 117s uh, still stored in um 
Tonopah Tonopah, uh, Test Range uh, Airport, TTR, have continued to take part in research and development efforts, largely in relation to low observable testing, which includes trialling new radar absorbent coatings and off-board sensors. They are a central player in what is emerging to be a low observable integrated testing task force that largely animates from the TTR and includes access to a number of exotic testbed aircraft uh, sensors and threat representative systems but another part of the F-117's duties has blossomed into a more traditional role. In in May of 2020 the F-117's did something unprecedented they flew a number of red air missions over over the Pacific uh, against a Navy carrier strike group that was undergoing its its most deeply integrated and complex training just prior to deployment. Since then, there have been spotted uh, over the vast expanses of the Mugave Desert uh, and the NTTR. They even landed at Edwards Air Force Base recently, another first since their retirement a dozen years ago, at least as far as we know. All of this has perpetuated a sense that the F-117s are creeping steadily out of the shadows once again. These latest developments underscore that the secretive F-117 force, which has a direct association with the Dark Knights moniker, is very much involved in adversary support, air support beyond discrete test and developmental duties. It would make some sense that they are providing a dissimilar low observable threat representation for a frontline air crews to contend with at least until the 65th aggressor squadron which will be outfitted with f-35a's comes online and can assume a similar albeit more robust role so it's, I did, so so the f-17 the, the f-117 essentially has been more or less retired then is that what i'm understanding but but not now basically yeah it looks like they're taking it back from retirement. And coincidentally, I'm going to be going into training in October on the uh, 117. Oh, wait, no, that's the 717. <laughs> Never mind. That's a it's very wrong close. Airplane. Sorry. It's very Forget close. Uh, I'd love to see you in a fighter jet, Jeff. I think that would be quite the experience. <laughs> it would be. <laughs> it would be okay that's all we've got to say that uh, that's uh oh my goodness me it's going all a little bit bananas here so um armando first of all has said that uh <laughs> it's a yeah uh armando saying that you guys are doing great which is very kind of him uh also interestingly enough masher is saying that looks like they're made in minecraft yes they are sort of quite sort of square aren't they? Look like they're, that. they're very boxy aren't they with what's going on there yeah, Pip is suggesting that they they don't look particularly aerodynamic or efficient. Um, well, I mean, he'd know, obviously, being the... <laughs> it's um, it's uh, Again, Paul is suggesting that perhaps they are more aerodynamic than you, Pip, which is perhaps a bit personal. Uh, <laughs> Very personal. <laughs> Absolutely. There we are, all part of the fun. Uh, well, the, uh, Lane again, great point here. No need to look good when you cannot be seen. Good point, <laughs> good point. Uh, yes, Yes. Uh, right. Okay. Uh, That'll be good. That'll be good. We're busy reading all the chat room comments here, so apologies for pausing here. But Auntie Liz is saying that she said she wants to see Jeff and Nick in a fighter together. That would be quite an experience. Who would be flying though? That's the question. Mm. Mm. <laughs> I, I just, I'd love to see uh, Nick and Jeff in the C one forty one together. That would be quite fun. Me too. Yeah. 
<laughs> we'll have to do that sometime. Uh, right, okay. The numbers mean nothing to me. Uh, <laughs> there we go. We've got one more military story to go, Carlos. That's with you. <laughs> yeah, this next uh, next story is uh, coming from Russia uh, about an air or about a uh, an unmanned. Vi- uh, aerial vehicle that looks absolutely nothing like a Northrop Grumman B2, I will say. Anyway, we'll continue. (laughs) Uh, This one is on the Popular Mechanics website, and uh, Russia Hunter is unlike anything in America's arsenal. So Russia is pushing its new unmanned combat aerial vehicle, which looks nothing like a B2, uh, out the door and into the hands of the military sooner than expected. The S-70 Okhotnik or the Hunter drone, which looks nothing like a B-2, will enter service with Russian Aerospace Force a year earlier than planned in 2024. That means the Hunter could become the first high-performance combat drone designed for large-scale conventional warfare to enter service with any country. Russian media first spotted the drone back in January 2019 as it was performing tests at the Novosibirsk-based Chuklov aviation plant, uh, the aviation resembles a boomerang, or B-2, with uh, a large air intake at the front on the top half of the aircraft and a shrouded engine nozzle. Uh, the famous Sukhoi Design Bureau makers of Cold War jets and today's Su-35 Flanker E's and Su-57 Phelan fighters designed the drone. They didn't take anything at all from the B-2. Uh, tip pre- uh, tipping the scales at 20 tonnes, uh, Okhotnik is about as heavy as a two-engined American F-15 Eagle fighter. The drone is capable and designed to carry up to 13,200 pounds of munitions, including air-to-air and air-to-ground missiles, in an internal weapons bay. The drone will have a range of 3,240 nautical miles and a top speed of 620 miles per hour. Okhotnik uh, was originally described as an autonomous drone capable of carrying out missions in support of crewed aircraft and American efforts to develop a loyal wingman that can operate alongside crew fighters led to reports that Okhotnik would follow the same path. Okhotnik can reportedly execute strike missions against important enemy targets, including air defense systems, headquarters, units, and others. Russia has been trying to catch up to the West in the field of autonomous weapon systems, in one case rushing the Uran-9 unmanned ground vehicle drone into combat in Syria, and Uran-9 performed badly in real-world operational conditions, though the Russians did not learn important lessons. I think I think that is officially my favourite word of the day. Actually, ahok, ahok, I can't even say it. Ahoknik. I think that's my favourite word. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Actually, all jokes aside, I was looking at you. You said it looked like. Would you say it looked like looked like been taken from a B two? It, it doesn't. It doesn't look anything at all like the Northrop Grumman B two. Right. Okay. All right. I mean, mm. to me, it just looks like a dogfish. You know, the ones that are usually at the bottom of the the, the, yeah. the tropical water tank. Sort of. It looks like a. You know, it looks like one of those for one of those flatfish <laughs> to me. But uh, there we go. It's it's, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's uh, an interesting aircraft, shall we say? <laughs> yeah, Graham Haley is saying actually in the chat room apparently that uh, uh, it looks. Um, I, I'm trying, trying. Sorry, my technology is misbehaving. He's saying it looks very similar to the BAE systems, uh, Tyran- Tyrannis. I think. Uh, apologies if I've uh, crea- uh, said that wrong. Going back to the previous story, actually, uh, Paul Tricker was saying that the F. 117 was and still is absolutely groundbreaking what uh, say what you like about them they still had an incredible job 
Uh, they still did a, did an incredible job, as does uh, everything followed by it since a result. I mean, it's um, you know, it's uh, this is why we love the chat room, you see, because when we haven't got Armando, they know all about this stuff. <laughs> try and look, look up. Try uh, and look a little more interested, Carlos, please. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm just, I was going to say before we move on, look up the X44A and see if that doesn't look somewhat. Similar hmm. to that okay, I'm Russian on that. One moment, drone. Um, I can I almost sense Jonathan Warner just like you know, well, checking a... these up, checking these up on Google. <laughs> Absolutely, here we go. Hmm. I'm just going to try and. Uh, it's not. It's ah, there. We go. That'll do. Open image in new tab. There we are. It's all right. Just talk amongst yourselves for a minute. It's really slick here. I don't know if anybody noticed. Sure. Uh, <laughs> Nobody. Uh, what? What's going on? Uh, indeed. There we go. And that's what Jeff's talking about. There we go. So if you're watching the video version of this, it, I see what you mean. It is. It's a similar sort of design, isn't it? That same sort of flat thing with a with the whole yeah. flying wings. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, but these are drones. That's the thing that that gets me. I mean, so these these are literally autonomous aircraft, aren't they? They're not. There there aren't mm-hmm. people in them. It's it's incredible. No one, no one ever pinches any ideas from anyone else. They're always no. original designs. Okay, just lovely. like the uh, the Russian C five ski. Yes, yes. <laughs> or the, okay. uh, the the or the or the uh, the Russian seven five seven ski. Yes. Right. Okay. So before we get sued, I think what we should probably do <laughs> is uh, move on to the next part of the show, and that uh, for me, Carlos. Actually, why don't you introduce it this week? Yes, so the next part of the show, it's, uh, it's one of the favourite segments of the show for a lot of people, including my father. And uh, <laughs> it's obviously the uh, Plain Truth segment with Captain Al, and also this week, a special guest. And this week's uh, episode is all about turbulence. <laughs> Everyone and welcome to another episode of The Plain Truth and this week we're going to be talking about turbulence. Joining me as always is the legend that is Captain Al. Hi Captain Al. A very good evening Matt. And how are you? I'm very well thank you and your good self? Oh living the dream as always. There we are that's the mandatory pleasantries out of the way. Uh, joining us actually we have another special guest joining us today which I'm very uh, excited to say. Uh, a gentleman who has the pleasure slash misfortune of working for a company called WeatherQuest that's based here in Norwich. Uh, it gives me my great pleasure to welcome Dan Holly. Hi Dan. Yeah, hi there, Matt. They're, they're a great company to work for. Oh, tr- <laughs> trust me on that one. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, well, with uh, with Jim Bacon as the as uh, the previous CEO, who could possibly say otherwise? Exactly. Absolutely. Uh, now, uh, Dan, I've uh, troubled your your rare opportunity of an evening off to uh, talk about the word turbulence. Now, turbulence is something that we come across quite uh, regularly when it comes to flying, and uh, really, I have literally no idea what turbulence is. So, I wondered if perhaps you could fill me in. Yeah, sure. So uh, turbulence is primarily driven by what we call wind shear. Um, And that's basically where the winds are changing speed or direction, either in the horizontal or the vertical. So, you know, the atmosphere is very chaotic. It is a fluid. It's constantly changing. And there will be boundaries where you've got these sharp gradients in temperature, for example, but also these sharp gradients in sort of wind speed or direction. So if you're crossing one of these boundaries, you're going to experience a lot of twisting and turning motions and eddies and that sort of thing and that will ultimately uh, induce turbulence as well and there, there are many different ways that you can get turbulence obviously the one that probably comes to mind first off is is near thunderstorms because there's a lot of motion going on within a thunderstorm and that affects the air around it 
Um, but other places where you can get turbulence are uh, near hills as well. So if the air is flowing over a hill on the leeward side, you'll get a lot of turbulence developing as well with standing waves. Um, so if an airport is near, near a mountain range, for example, such as Denver and Colorado, then that could have an impact on, on aircraft trying to land or take off there, depending on the wind direction, of course, relative to the high ground that's nearby. Um, but another place that you can get turbulence is, is on the edge of jet streams as well, because there's a sharp gradient of wind speed between within the jet stream and outside of it. And that sharp gradient can also induce a lot of spin and a lot of uh, turbulence and, and eddies and that sort of thing there as well. So uh, th thanks, Dan. That, that's really good. The, the, the interesting point for me, obviously, is so you're saying there's obviously quite a lot of uh, uh, movement in the air, essentially, which is what's generating that that bump, if you like, that we're feeling. Now, Al, obviously that has a major impact on how you're planning uh, your routes, presumably, as well, because, uh, I mean, we've all seen horror stories and photographs of, of people being thrown around in the air, inside the aircraft as a result of this. So, I mean, what, what steps do you try and do? Uh, what data do you have access to, if you like, to, to change your plan, for example, uh, to try and avoid these? And what impact does the uh, turbulence have on the aircraft when you're flying? Okay, well, we're lucky in Europe that we have access to some pretty good weather prediction computer systems. But I think Dan will probably admit that it's not an exact science, the forecasting of turbulence. And where you're using basically a paper chart with some symbols drawn on it with your route superimposed, you've got to really think in, in three dimensions because the difference of a couple of hundred feet can be the difference between a really smooth ride and really quite a rough ride. And, you know, maybe just uh, a few hundred metres left or right of that can have uh, the same effect. So uh, typically uh, when Dan was talking about jet streams, I know a lot of people kind of struggle visualising these things because like a lot of things if you can't see it it's difficult to believe that it's there it's a bit like electricity some people still think it's you know it's it's weird magic but what i say to <laughs> only my in clients Norfolk, when i think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what i say to my clients when we're discussing turbulence with regards to fear of flying is try to imagine a river or a stream and there are parts of that river or stream that are quite sort of turbulent with, with white water. And there are other periods where it's very, very calm. And if you think about the river or the stream as its whole journey, well, that's very similar to uh, an airline flight. So we have planning charts. We have significant weather charts uh, that reasonably accurately predict where there is going to be cumulonimbus clouds, uh, they're thunderstorm clouds in simple terms, and where we have jet streams. Uh, and there can be many jet streams just in, just in Europe. And whilst they're predominantly um, from the west travelling east, uh, they do change direction from time to time and all of a sudden they take a sudden dive to the south. So you're not just necessarily, if you're flying west to east, you're not just sat in one or parallel in one, you're, you're crossing them as well. So we do try to uh, plan our route to avoid the, the worst of the forecast turbulence. The difficulty that uh, myself face and probably the meteorologists face is it is just a forecast. 
And there are many occasions where we get turbulence that was just not forecast at all, or equally where really bad turbulence is forecast and there isn't any. So it can be a bit frustrating. Um, and unfortunately, we don't really have any substantial equipment on board the aircraft that can forecast clear air turbulence. We can quite clearly see uh, build-ups, so where there's cloud, because our weather radar can reflect off moisture. But what it can't do is it can't reflect off clear air. So, yeah, it's it's a challenge. Um, and I, I genuinely believe that in maybe the next 10 or 15 years, the technology for being able to accurately predict turbulence will get a lot better. Uh, what what do you think, Dan? What, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd like to think so. And and in some ironic way, I think aviation is going to play a key role in that as well, because we rely very heavily on the measurements that get taken on board of planes that then get fed into the computer models that drive the forecast at the end of the day. So, um, you know, the more we can get measurements from high up in the atmosphere, the better understanding we'll have of these jet streams. And, and hopefully the better we can then um, predict them further down the line. But like you say, the jet stream, I think a lot of people think of it as like a straight line across the Atlantic, for example, from Canada to the UK. But actually, it, it can wave about quite a bit. You get lots of ridges and troughs in it. And that makes it very complicated to pick out parts of the jet stream that are more likely to, to produce the, you know, the areas of quite bad turbulence in places. Um, and, and as a result, the winds are not necessarily going from west to east. They can go back on themselves sometimes as well. So it, it's incredibly complex, the upper atmosphere, and it changes all the time. So, you know, you take off from Heathrow, um, but it's always evolving on that journey as well. It doesn't st stay in a fixed position even while you're flying across the Atlantic. It does change over time. Absolutely. One of the things that I sometimes talk to people about, and they think that I'm barking mad. No, is surely not, Captain Al. <laughs> we, we obviously use very, very powerful computers. Um, you know, all of the, the Met offices around the world are, you know, all using these supercomputers. But of course, these supercomputers need data to work with. And people think I'm barking mad when I talk about weather reporting boys out in the Atlantic that are taking you know, the sea level pressure, uh, the height of the waves, uh, the temperature, the dew point, and that sort of thing. And these are all fed into the computer. And something that Dan alluded to there is is the fact that, um, you know, it's hand in glove meteorology and, and aviation, because when we fly across the Atlantic, for example, uh, the aircraft either manually or automatically are sending weather data back that is fed into these computers. And admittedly, probably 10 or so years ago, when I was reasonably frequently traveling across the Atlantic, if we were flying on a non-standard route, so if, say, we were going down to Cancun in Mexico, um, we would be asked to send hourly MET reports. Um, and this would just be the wind uh, direction, velocity, and the outside air temperature, and this is, you know, fed into those those supercomputers. It, it's not used all by magic. <laughs> Quite. But, but people generally think that, you know, that, that, you know, these these weather reporting boys out in the Atlantic were, you know, stuff of the 1940s, but they're still out there, aren't they, Dan? Tell me I'm not lunatic. <laughs> no, no, they're, they're definitely still out there. In fact, last night, one of them recorded a wind gust of 112 miles an hour off the uh, south coast of Ireland. So, you know, they're still very much a key part of 
all this sort of weather data assimilation that goes into these weather models, aviation, satellite data increasingly so as well, but obviously land-based weather stations as well. But for a country like the UK, where most of our weather comes in off the Atlantic, we don't have a great way really of seeing what is going on over the Atlantic. We've got some satellite data, but having aviation and planes going across the Atlantic all day, uh, taking these measurements is, is vital really to improve our forecasting of what may be coming towards Western Europe. So Absolutely, a very, very simple illustration of that. I mean, I grew up in Southwest Wales. And if you want to know what the weather's going to be like in Southwest Wales tomorrow, just look at the weather in Waterford in Ireland, because <laughs> three quarters of the year, what Waterford has today will be your weather tomorrow. Right. It's as simple as that. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's an interesting, uh, an interesting look on it, I suppose. There's, uh, and so, I mean, uh, we've mentioned jet streams there, obviously, and, and obviously turbulence is, is part of that from what I understand. Uh, so what does the turbulence actually do to the aircraft physically when you're flying it? Because, I mean, we've all seen the horrific pictures, if you like, of people being thrown out of their seat because they didn't wear the seatbelt when told to, etc., etc. I mean, uh, is there any risk to the aircraft as a result of that turbulence? Truthfully, uh, the aircraft are designed to withstand severe turbulence. Now, the cases where people have been injured in severe turbulence encounters, uh, they're as a result of, you say, not wearing their seatbelt or just encountering unexpected severe turbulence. And in all those cases, the aircraft survives because it's <laughs> It's tested to a far greater uh, G-loading than you and I can sustain <laughs> and a comfort level. Um, so one of the, the aspects that frequently comes up uh, when I'm talking to people um, is, you know, is people talk about, you know, air bubbles and air pockets. Well, as Dan mentioned earlier, the air is a fluid. It's difficult for a lot of people to think about it, but it, the air is, you know, very similar to water. So if you have turbulent water, um, then you get, you know, sort of bubbles within it, but they disappear. So we can't have voids within the air. So when people talk about, oh, suddenly, you know, we fell thousands of feet in turbulence. <laughs> well, no, you didn't. The difficulty is, and we, we've, you know, talked a little bit about this on a personal level, is that, when we're sat on an aeroplane, we don't have any real easy way of um, judging uh, height changes, if you like. There's, there's no datum. So we're strapped to something that's, that's moving very quickly through the air. Um, so even a, a change of you know, one or two feet is, is relatively significant. So uh, if I was to you know, strap you to an office chair, and lift you up and down one or two feet it's quite noticeable to you yes and that's all that. the aircraft <laughs> that's all the aircraft is experiencing it, it's it's very very unusual for us to have anything more than you know 20 feet of altitude change in the majority of turbulence when we get into severe turbulence and I mean, i've been flying up flying for over 25 years, 14 and odd thousand hours. I've only encountered severe turbulence twice. Um, both occasions were short-lived. Um, no significant injuries, lots of spilt wine, the occasional spilt curry. Oh, but no. that's, that, <laughs> that, that, that's the end result. And they were variations in altitude of about 50 or 60 feet. It's just that people's perception as a human being uh, we've got very good 
motion detectors. So we can detect if we're being moved up and down a couple of feet. And, you know, we're not used to being moved in that sense. So we are quite sensitive to it. So uh, the aeroplanes are absolutely fine in turbulence. There's, uh, there are two people sat at the front of the aeroplane who will want to be out of that turbulence as much as you do. <laughs> Indeed. Well, that sounds like a perfect place to bring that subject to a close. Thank you, Captain Al. Thank you, Dan Holly. There we are. Well, that, well, I enjoyed that. Thank you, Dan, for for joining me and Captain Al with our uh, with that uh, turbulence. I, I, it's one of those things I never really <laughs> knew anything about. It's uh, it's, it's yeah. the, the word jet stream gets used an awful lot when we're talking about weather. It has to be said. <laughs> oh dear. Do you know, what, Matt? I was thinking that because listening to that, because um, you obviously we had a, we had a pre-listen to you that did, earlier yes. on today, and you know when you, especially in the UK here, you have we have our weather uh, presenters mm. who do the weather shows and stuff. Is is it just me or Dan has got like the the most perfect weather presenting voice that you could ever wish to see or hear on TV, or is it just me? Yeah. You know that that specific clear. It's the you know, clarity, isn't it, that yeah. you want, really, when you're reading yeah. stuff like that. You, 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 he could get away with uh, delivering bad news, and we'd probably still forgive him, mm. wouldn't we? You know, that's, that's the thing. Yeah. He could tell us that there was a tornado coming, and we'd think, oh, well, never mind. Yeah, yeah it'd be, be, good, be <laughs> nice to hear some more from Dan, I think. About, yeah, well, uh, good news there. We've got a couple of other bits and pieces coming up, and also a little bit of a special, slightly off the topic of aviation, actually, because Dan's a big storm chaser. He's a massive fan of storm chasing, and we did have a chat with him about that, so that's something to look forward to in <laughs> later episodes. Can we just... Uh, can we just go to the chat room? Graham Haley says that he normally loves these segments, oh. but that one was a bit up and down. Oh, I see what he oh. did there. I do Bam. see what he did there. That is... Uh, insert rim shot, Jeff. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Yes. That's just horrendous. Um, yes. Mm. Yes, I don't know what to do with that oh. information. Uh, so, so we've, we've uh, got some more of those to come then, uh, Matt. We have indeed, yeah, a couple more of those to come. Uh, Rich, fr- uh, Rich from Sheffield, which I believe is uh, one of your loyal listeners, Jeff, has actually is apologising for missing your show yesterday, by the way. That's <laughs> OK. <laughs> He'll be punished later. Right, okay. He'll enjoy that, no doubt. Uh, <laughs> never mind. Oh, well, never mind. Just, we're having to sort of pass on our, our apologies now <laughs> for, for somebody else's show. Never mind. Oh, well. Any complaints, obviously, uh, I am annoyed at apg.com, obviously. Yep. They'll come right to me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You should see some of these really interesting email um, uh, addresses I get. Sometimes there are a couple different lines worth right, of stuff. Right. Okay. Well, that, that's good yeah. to know. That's uh, that's uh, award-winning news. I suppose we better start. start to... Oh, actually, uh, if anybody wants to follow uh, Dan Holly, by the way, it is uh, on Twitter. He is at Dan Holly, H-O-L-L-E-Y underscore at Dan Holly underscore for anybody who wants to follow him. Uh, but while we're talking about social medias, Carlos, uh, where can they find us? Uh, we are over on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, search social media for Plain Talking UK. Also, don't forget that all-important WhatsApp number. If you do want to send us a picture, we can put that on the screen behind Matt in the PTUK studios. Oh, yeah. Actually, uh, the picture behind me was sent by uh, Jonathan Warner, as you might expect, which oh, is a beautiful picture, look, of the, uh, of a, Osprey. the Osprey in Sunset. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah, absolutely. Very nice. So that all-important WhatsApp number, remember, pen and, pen, pen and paper handy, plus four four. Seven five seven two two four nine one six six. 
And also, <laughs> very funny. Sorry, John. John's, just, John's just said in our ear, can you do that without looking? I can look. I'm going to look right at the camera. So it's plus four four seven five seven two two four nine one six six. There you are. See? And also, if see you on the camera, though. <laughs> also, if yeah. you want to, he's got a massive letters in front of him. Anyway, oh, if it. you want to go to uh, uh, email, you can send us an email podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. And also, our website, all the W's dot plaintalkinguk.com. And you can also uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel where you will also get notifications when we go live, which you can help share and shape the conversation by joining us in the chat room. So go over to youtube.com and search for Plain Talk. UK. Also, don't forget that all-important Amazon link, which I have really used the heck out of this Excellent. week, including including uh, Gemma, who ordered some pink balloons last night using the link, Right, kind okay. of random. But uh, uh, take yourself reason? over... I have no idea. Fair I don't enough. want to ask. Okay. Probably best um, not to. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So take yourselves over to our website. Balloons. The Amazon links there. We'll get a small <laughs> referral fee for if you purchase something through there. And also, if you want to go over to the website, check out our Patreon links. If you want to become a patron of the show and help to uh, to help to to bring or help to bring the content to you each week from us here. Oh, uh, we, we're, we're talking about apologies. Actually, uh, we've just had an apology from Doctor Steph. She's just sent us a picture. She says, "Terribly sorry, guys. I'm still working." Look, there we are. She's in full mode look important cup of beverage oh. look in the hand that's the most important thing uh, <laughs> we mentioned the word APG there Jeff how if, if somebody's stuck under a stone and doesn't know what on earth APG is all about how do they find you and what's it all about what W-A-P-G. It's the airline guy. oh I'm sorry I accidentally hit that <laughs> sounder right. my bad <laughs> uh, it's uh, at AP well the website's at airline or airlinepilotguy.com uh, on Twitter, you can find the crew at APG Crew and at Airline Pilot Guy. And a quick note from the uh, chat room from uh, Auntie Liz, uh, just saying, great show, guys. Uh, very adequate, Jeff. Get <laughs> Thank back you. to editing <laughs> yesterday's show. Right, yes, ma'am. Okay. Nah. You've officially been told <laughs> off. That, that is true. Oh, tan- she oh, knows what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. Oh, dude, that's the trouble. When it, I, I have a similar problem when, when you know, I'll, I'll accidentally post something on social media and then our, our producer, John, is going, uh, excuse me, you're supposed to be doing something other else. Or it's, uh, there we go. So quick, yeah. quick round, Robin, before we finish the show then. Matt, what's going on in the world of Matt next week? Uh, not a lot. Same old, same old, really. It's, um, I, had a, I had the interesting job of being guru today for my, my uh, new job. Well, you've been meditating. Uh, no, 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 sadly not. No, uh, no. guru means uh, basically like I've been answering other people's questions, which having only been with a company for six weeks is uh, quite a challenge, I have to say. It's been a tough old day, but it's been a lot of fun, actually. So, uh, yeah, enjoying it, actually. And uh, actually, believe it or not, in September, the first week of September, I'm going to be driving a bus again. Uh, coach, <gasps> sorry, I did not the word bus. I know, coach. I'm in so Yeah, absolutely. We'll 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 fix that in post. It'll be fine. So, yeah, so I'm looking forward to doing a bit of uh, coach driving again, actually. It's going to be good fun. I've missed it, actually. I've really missed it. So, Nev, what are you doing next week? I'm drinking wine. Right. Well done, Nev. Thank you. Armando, what are you doing next week? I'm buying a plane. Well done, Armando. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, And Captain Jeff. Once again, any complaints, obviously, (laughs) please do send them. I am offended at airlinepilotguy.com, I think, on this occasion. I don't want them. Jeff, Jeff. Send all the mail to me. (laughs) Come on. 
That's low. What, what's going now on? I know why you guys have me on the show. <laughs> what, what's going on in the world of Jeff next week? Well, uh, Steph and I, Dr. Steph and I, are going to be uh, flying with a uh, Colonel Jeff on one of his last flights ever wow. uh, next uh, Friday. So Ooh. stay tuned for that. That sounds very exciting. We'll stay tuned for that, definitely. Can't wait for that. So that is uh, where we bring episode 321, uh, 22, sorry, 322. Sorry, that's a beer talking. 322 of this show. I know, John. <laughs> Honestly, I've had three of these now. Oh, so a big thanks to everyone who's joined us in the YouTube chat room tonight, all the family members in there. And don't forget as well, a big thanks to everyone who downloads the show as an audio podcast. Big thanks to you all as well. So from me here in my own UK small little studio and from Matt over in the large grand master PTUK studios <laughs> and uh, from, Je uh, from Jeff over in his fantastic APG studio Studio and 1A right? Not forgetting as well uh, not forgetting as well from John in his production lab production take care lab. everyone wow okay <laughs> take, yeah, take care everyone have a great weekend <laughs> and stay safe everyone take care everyone bye bye, -bye. <laughs>